if you would turn to John chapter 16. So we're going to jump right into this, um, into this message. This is the last message in our series um, called Summer Scriptures. It's all about the Sermon on the Mount. And I was telling the, the worship team before service, we got together to pray before the service started. And I was telling them, I said, um, in, in some of my study, and I came across... Uh, another church that had done a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I, and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And so I was kind of checking out some of the videos to see. And I, and I, I skipped ahead and went to the very last uh, sermon uh, in the series. And the, the preacher opens up the message by saying, well, welcome to the last message in the series. This is message number 22 in this series. So uh, if you ever think I go long in my series, just know we didn't do 22 weeks of this. All right. So at least we, we got it down to four, um, which I think was a little bit too short. But uh, but today we are going to end it. And I want to start with John chapter 16. It, it, this is outside of Matthew uh, five, six, and seven, which is what we've been preaching about. But I want to kind of give you a little frame of reference of something that John, that Jesus says in the book of John, that's going to kind of set up the whole uh, series that we've been doing. And that is this: in John sixteen verse eight, it says this. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning. And He mentions three things that Jesus is going to convict the world of. The first one, He says, He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And judgment. Now, if we're just being fair today, it's very easy for a lot of churches. We it, it, there, there are plenty of churches out there that want to talk about sin. Like we're going to tell you everything you're doing wrong, and you know, turn or burn, and, and and all that kind of stuff. I've got I've got pastor friends of mine, and that's exactly how they preach. I mean, it's all about it, every day you come in and you come in feeling good, and you leave feeling like total junk, right? You, you may have been to one of those churches before. You leave feeling like you're the worst sinner in the world. And then it's also easy on the flip side of that to always preach about righteousness. And, and you may come in feeling really terrible and, and the church is going to make you feel really, really good. And we're going to just pump you up and get you excited to go back out. And so you, you leave feeling really good because all we talk about is all the good things. And both of those are good. I mean, you got to have a balance. You got to talk about sin. You got to talk about righteousness. And, and then, but there's this third one that we very rarely ever talk about, and that's judgment. Nobody wants to talk about judgment, right? Nobody wants to talk about judgment because judgment sounds very harsh. And in our world today, we don't want anything that sounds harsh. And so we try to stay away from judgment as much as possible. But one of the things I noticed in reading through uh, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches, starting in Matthew 5, he starts off talking about righteousness. Right from the beginning. He, remember we did the series, I mean the sermon about um, blessed are you if, right? So he says, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed. And he goes through all these blessings of, of things that we need to incorporate, good characteristics, good righteous things that we need to incorporate into our life. That He says these are the characteristics of a righteous person. These are the things that a person in the kingdom of God is going to do. And then Jesus talks about sin. He talks about, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. You may remember this message we talked about. It, it doesn't matter necessarily that you commit adultery as much as it matters that you have lust in your heart. And he says, adultery is bad. Yes, but even having lust in your heart is the same thing. He says, murder is terrible, but having hatred in your heart is the same thing. And so he talks about righteousness. He talks about sin. But today in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 12, he's going to go through a list of things. He's going to go through a, a message about judgment. And so today we're going to talk about judgment. It's not always the most fun thing to talk about. I'll go ahead and tell you that right off the bat. But I think it's a good thing to talk about. It's a good thing to talk about. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And sometimes we don't understand what fear means because we think, oh, we shouldn't be afraid of God. I didn't say being afraid of God is the beginning of wisdom. I said the fear of the Lord. The, the word fear in the Bible usually means, um, it, it means a, a kind of a reverence or respect for someone in authority, right? And so you think about it. Doug's a former police officer. Um, and so you, we think about police officers sometimes. And, and, and really, when I'm driving down the road, uh, I'm, not, I'm not driving down the road just in fear, right? That a police officer is going to pull me over. Because I'm going, you know, if I'm, if I'm not going the speed limit necessarily or whatever, I'm, I'm trying to be conscious of the speed limit. And, and I'm, not, I'm not just running, oh, I'm scared of every police officer. As a matter of fact, when I see a police officer, on my, my road's very fast. I live on a road that's 35 miles an hour. And everybody drives about 55 miles an hour. Remember this story? Uh, not too long ago, my dog got killed, got, got hit by a car. He didn't get hit by a car. He got run over right? Why? Because they drive way too fast on our road, way too fast. And and so, so when I see a police officer parked on my road, boy, I feel really good. I feel really, I'm like, oh, this is great. More cops, the better. Like put them all out here, right? When I see police officers on our road, I I feel really excited. One time I got a call from the alarm company about the church and they were like, hey, we've got a burglar alarm at the church. Um, You need to go check it out. Um, It's funny, the alarm never goes off. Uh, you know, at normal hours, it's always at like 11 o'clock at night, of course, you know. And so I drive, get in the car and I drive all the way out here. And, um, and of course, I've got my gun, you know, just in case I have to, you know, take matters in my own hands. And, um, and I'm not going to, but just in case, I just like to think that way. And so, so I get to the church, I pull up. And when I pull up to the church, I see the largest human being in all black. Now, look, the church is already dark as it is, right? Like we've got these two lights out here. But I see this huge human walk around the corner of the church. And the closer he got, the more kind of frightened I got. And then all of a sudden I see the badge. And I was like, oh, thank God, this giant is on my side. Like he is here for me. And so this huge police officer was here. And it just alleviated all of the stress and the fear. But now if I'm doing something wrong, right? If I'm driving uh, 95 down, down the interstate and I see a police officer, guess what happens? Do I feel relieved? No. I begin to sweat. I begin to pour sweat out of my body because I think this is it. This is the day I'm getting pulled over. He's got me. He's got me, right? I'm busted. Why? Because I was doing something wrong. So there's this idea of fear of the Lord that we need to have this kind of respect that whenever we're doing right, we don't have to worry about it. As long as we're serving God, as long as we're doing the right things, we don't have to worry about it. But the moment we begin to sin, then all of a sudden we begin to sweat a little bit because we know that we've got a a God that's not looking to punish, but we've got a God that's fair. Listen, if I'm going 95 down the interstate and I get pulled over, I'm not mad at the police officer. I get it. I did wrong. It was my fault. I'm mad at myself, yeah, but I'm not mad at him. Why? Because he's being just and fair. He's pulling me over for something that I did wrong. And so, so today, that's what we're going to talk about is judgment a little bit with that in mind. Let's start Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This first verse, we won't stay on super long. It says this, For whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the golden rule. This is what a lot of people call it, the golden rule. As a matter of fact, a lot of non-Christians even quote this all the time because it sounds very good. It sounds very easy. The idea is, however you want to be treated, treat other people that way. 
right? However you want to be treated, treat other people that way. The, the thing that we miss sometimes, and we take this verse out of context a little bit, is because when Jesus is saying this, um, he, he's really kind of reinforcing some of the stuff that he already said earlier in the, in the passage. He's reinforcing the idea of the, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, right? Because what people are going to do in this, in this time is they take the letter of the law and they live according to the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. For example, bringing it into our time frame. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but in most states, most places, walking on the interstate is illegal, right? Walking on the interstate is illegal. Um, but what happens, what happens if there's a motorist that's broken down, right? And you're driving and you see somebody broken down. And, and let's make it really easy. Let's say uh, we've got a lot of pregnant women in the room. As a matter of fact, pregnant women, uh, husbands, let me teach you a little lesson. I just talked to Will back in the back. And I noticed that Will had taken multiple snacks today. In our snack time, he had taken multiple snacks. He had a handful of snacks. And when I walked up to him, I said, Will, you're only supposed to get one to start with. And you've got a handful of snacks. And he said, but I've got a pregnant wife. And I said, having a pregnant wife does not excuse you, right, to eat all the snacks. And he tried to throw it off like it was for Julianne. But we all know the truth, right? We all know the truth. Just because your wife is pregnant, guys, doesn't mean you can get all the snacks. Um, but anyways, let's pretend like it's a pregnant lady. Let's pretend it's Julianne. She's obviously starving because Will has eaten all the snacks, right? And she's on the side of the interstate and, and her car's broken down. And you're driving by and you see this and you think, I should probably stop and help Julianne. She looks hungry and pregnant. And obviously her husband is too busy eating to come help her. So I'm going to pull over. But you begin to pull over, but you don't get out of your car. Why? Because it's illegal to walk on the interstate. So I'm not going to get out of my car. I'm not going to help her. I'm going to leave her there because it's illegal for me to walk on the interstate. Now, can you see the foolishness in that? What should you do? Spirit of the law says, I get out of my car. I go help her and the cops are going to understand, right? They're going to get it. But back in those days, this is what the, what the religious leaders would do, is they would manipulate the law to where they only had to follow the letter and not worry about the Spirit. So when Jesus says the golden rule, he says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He's setting us up. He's saying, you need to understand there is a Spirit behind the law that you got to live. It's not just the letter of the law. The other thing he does is he is establishing a baseline for the judgment later on in the Scriptures. Because later on he's going to talk about judgment and we need to understand the baseline for that. The baseline is this, that we, we treat people the way we want to be treated. Listen, you know how I want to be treated? I want to be treated fair. And I want people to be nice to me. I want people to love me. I want people to be kind to me. But at the same time, I don't want people to let me get away with doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. If I'm doing something wrong, I want someone to tell me. And if I continue to do something wrong, I want someone to hit me upside the head and say, you're being stupid. Stop doing what you're doing. Right. I need that. I desire that. Have you ever been to a uh, I was just talking to Colt uh, this morning and and uh, and we were talking about embarrassing things on, on the way here. And I said, I preached a whole sermon one time uh, with my fly unzipped. And no one told me no one told me. I'm a little bitter because I said one time, and you're thinking it happened years ago, but it was like a couple of weeks ago, it was like two weeks ago, and none of you jokers said anything to me. No little signal, no little zipper movement, nothing. And I, I, so I was totally embarrassed at the end of the message. What happens? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been to a place and you got a big piece of broccoli in your teeth, or you've been to a place and your flies unzip and no one tells you? Super embarrassing. Listen, when it comes to sin, I want someone to tell me. I want someone to help me out. 
right? And so we need to understand that as we get into the rest of this message. So, so moving on, let's go down Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And now we're going to get into some of this stuff. Here's what it says. This is one of my favorite parts. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let, let, me, just, let me just go back one more time. Enter by the narrow gate, right? He says, he says, in order for you to get into the kingdom, you've got to go through a narrow gate. And the way that follows a narrow gate is very difficult. It ain't easy. But there's another way, there's another gate that's very wide, it's very accommodating, and lots of people go through it. The problem with that gate is it leads to destruction. And so Jesus is setting us up here. So, so he's giving us a choice, and he tells us which gate to choose. He says, choose the hard path, right? Uh, who was it? Robert Frost back in the day, the, the road less traveled, you know, choose the path that's least traveled. And Jesus is telling us that he's saying, I want you to choose an arrow gate. There is this choice. Now, some people believe, and, and we're not going to get into the, to the, uh, theology on this one right now. Uh, maybe, maybe later on this summer, but some people believe that we have no choice in our salvation, that our salvation is determined before we're ever born. And, and some of you may believe that it's, it's a, uh, it's called Calvinism. And so some people lean that direction. But, but here, Jesus is very clearly telling us there's a choice. And he says, you've got a choice between a narrow gate and a wide gate. And I'm telling you, choose the narrow gate. But I'm also warning you, it's very difficult to go that way. It's very difficult to go that way. And so Jesus is telling us about our, our eternity here. And he says, listen, there's two ways to go. And you need to choose the, the more difficult path. And I want to talk about that real quick. Because here's the thing. As Christians... We want all the Christian stuff without any of the work and the responsibility and any of the persecution. Like we want all the good feelings and we want all the blessings and we want the blessed are those who, blessed are those who, but we don't want any of the work that goes along with it. I was thinking about like everybody's, everybody's on, on Facebook either um, praising the Roe v. Wade uh, decision or totally bashing it, right? Like there's no middle ground whatsoever. And one of the things I was thinking about was, um, obviously, I'm, I'm pro-life, 100%, right? I'm not just pro-babies, I'm pro-life. I, I'm pro the mamas, too. I want the mamas to have life. I want them to have eternal life. I want people to be saved. And that's why we did our prayer walk, and that's why we support Love Life. But here's the thing, with that Love Life group that we support, one of the things that they, they are very hard on is they say it's not just about the babies, it's about the mamas, so you can go and you can pray against abortion all day long and they can overturn Roe versus Wade all they want. But if someone's not loving on those mamas, then what are we doing? Who are we helping? If we got a young girl that gets pregnant, if we got a young boy that gets a young girl pregnant and, and they're feeling the pressure of an abortion, what are we doing? If all we're doing is saying, well, we're just praying for the baby. No, 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 no. We got, we got someone that's got to be discipled. We got someone that's got to be loved. We got someone that's got to be taken care of. We got someone that's got to be mentored. And that's one of the things I like about Love Life is they encourage us. As a matter of fact, I think I'm meeting with them this week to talk about that, that we need to become a church that, that they can send someone to to be mentored and discipled and helped, not just, well, we prayed for the baby, and that's good. But if we're not doing right, if we're not doing the work that, that leads up to that, then, then it doesn't matter. So don't come to me, tell me about all the votes and all the things if you're not willing to do the work on the other side of it. And that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is hard work. 
it's difficult. Christianity is about persecution. You're going to get persecuted if you truly live for Christ. Someone at some point is going to dislike you because of your beliefs. And you've got to be willing to handle that. I remember when I was in high school, um, I was so afraid to be a Christian, which is weird because my parents were Christian. My parents were pastors. And in my freshman year, like junior high and in my freshman year, I was all about just trying to blend in with the crowd, which is weird because I was a part of a group called the Losers, right? We were all like, we called ourselves the Losers because we were just trying to get ahead of it, right? We knew everybody else was going to call us that. You know, you know, Cam was, uh, you know, sports star in high school. Cam would not have been in my group, right? Cam would not have been in my group. Riley, probably in my group. You know what I mean? Jonathan, 100%. No. Um, so, so I had this group. I had this group. And, and none of us, like, like we, had, we had a couple of kids that were from different countries. Uh, they, you know, it was a, a white kid, a black kid, a couple of brown kids. Um, one of the white kids was me. And I looked like a skeleton uh, that could talk. You know, I was super skinny. My other uh, kid that was in the group, he had a weird ear. Another guy had, like, some crippled legs. I mean, we had all the things. One guy had, have you ever, he had a huge like a really big head, but a really little body. It was just a real conglomerate of weird kids, and we all were together. But the idea was we just wanted to keep from getting beat up. Like, if we could just keep from getting beat up, life would be really good. And I remember those first, those first, year, first year of high school and those years of middle school, I remember the goal was just to blend in. I just did not want to get made fun of, and so I wasn't going to tell people I was living for Christ. Certainly not. That's just one more thing to add to it. And I remember when I changed schools, we, we moved out of the city limits. We had to change schools. I lost all my friends and um, all my losers. We were all gone. And so I went to this new school. And at this new school, I just decided, like, like that summer, I just made up my mind, I'm going to serve God no matter what. Like, I'm going to just serve Jesus no matter what, no matter what I look like, no matter what I act like, no matter what anybody thinks about me. And I remember that, that, that changeover where I said, I'm just going to be a Christian. And if they persecute me, they persecute me. So did I get made fun of? Sure, there's times I got made fun of. I didn't go to all the parties and all the things, and I didn't do all the stuff that they did. But you know what? It, at that point, it didn't matter in my life because I made a decision to choose the narrow gate. The wide gate was easy. The narrow gate was difficult. And we have to choose the narrow gate. Here's another thing about the narrow gate. The narrow gate is, is, is sometimes difficult because you can't take everything in with you. It's too narrow. And so what we do is we want to come to Christ, but we want to come to Christ and we want to bring all of our stuff with us. Yeah, I'll be a Christian. I'll serve God. But don't make me give up this thing. Don't make me give up this habit. Don't let me don't don't make me give up this relationship. Don't make me give up this. I want to bring all of my stuff in with me. My wife and I just just got back uh, Friday from a little vacation uh, that you guys sent us on, actually. So pastor appreciation last year, uh, you guys gave and the, the trustees took the money that y'all gave and set it aside. And they said they said, Gabriel, here's the deal. We got this money set aside for you, but you have to take a vacation with it. You, you can't go buy anything with it. You have to take a vacation with your wife. And I was like, okay, you know, so, um, so I did. And so we went to this little condo at the beach and, and, and when we went in the condo, it was a nice little condo, but it was small. And, and we tried to go in the door. Well, when you open the door, uh, it blocks off the hallway to get to the bedroom to take all your stuff in. So, so we had all of our stuff and you, you know how as a man, you try to carry everything that you have in one trip, right? Cause that's what men do. And so you've got all this stuff and I try to walk in the door and I can't even open the door. I get the door open and I have to wiggle in and then I have to step back and she has to close the door, but she can't come in and I have to go back this way. And then they close the door, open the door again. And then I can get myself to the room. It was very difficult. 
Some of you are stressed out just listening to me tell that part of the story. And one of the things I thought about whenever I was reading through this stuff and I was studying over this is I thought about that's exactly what we look like trying to get to God. We try to go through the narrow gate, but we're trying to bring all of our stuff in. It just doesn't work. See, what happens when you go through the narrow gate, there's only room for you. And you have to drop everything down. And here's the thing. Whenever you do that, you're totally exposed. You're totally exposed before God. Listen, I don't want to enter judgment with all my things. If I'm going to be judged, I want to be judged for me. The other thing about the narrow gate is this. It says wide is the gate for a lot of people to go through. And what we think sometimes in America is we think if I can just get in the crowd, right? If I can just show up at the church, if I can just sit on the back row. All you back row people, I'm so sorry. I'm talking about you today. Um, If I can just sit on the back row and just blend in and nobody knows I'm here. If I can just get in with the crowd, then maybe I can slip through the gate with everybody else. But whenever you go through the narrow gate, you begin to just weed everybody out till only you can go through. The narrow gate's built for one, not a crew. So you go in single file. And you're judged not on your church attendance and not how big your church is and not how or small your church is, whatever the case is. You're not judged on were you a part of a crowd. You're judged on did you have a relationship with me? And so the narrow gate is difficult, but the narrow gate is necessary. Here's the thing, too, about the narrow gate. It leads to a hard way, and I'm going to try to get through this part very quickly. The hard way is littered with rejection and persecution. The hard way requires careful steps. The hard way will test your strength. Last Saturday, I ran in an obstacle course race, and and in, in running in this obstacle course race, there were big parts of the obstacle course where it was just big open areas you could just run. I mean, you just run and have a good time, and, and I'd just be running, and as I was running, I could turn around and talk to people, and we could just, you know, do stuff, and it was fun. But then we got to some trails, and it was at Nakalula Falls. We got to some trails that were taking you down to the falls and then back up. And, and in those trails, literally the path would go from being as wide as the stage to all of a sudden now the path is only this big and it's covered with rocks everywhere. And you can't just run and be willy-nilly and looking around and talking to people. You had to pay attention. You had to look where you're stepping. You had to slow down just a little bit. In order to follow the, way of the, the ways of Christ... Sometimes you have to slow down and be careful and watch where you step. Why? Because there's lots of stuff going on in this world. The path to destruction is very easy. You'll never find trouble on that path until the end, right? And so so you need to understand something. Choosing to do the things that he talked about is difficult. Choosing to love your enemies is difficult. Choosing to be meek is difficult. Choosing to be persecuted for righteousness is difficult. Choosing to, to, to love somebody instead of lust somebody is difficult. But it's totally worth it in the end. Matthew 24, 12 and 13 says this. Now, Jesus has just talked about we're going to be persecuted. There's going to be false prophets, all this stuff, bad stuff at the end times. And here's what he says in verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The narrow path requires endurance. Endurance. You can't have a a quit easy mentality and make it through the narrow path. Now, I know this isn't the fun stuff to preach. Like, you want to, everybody wants me to get up and just say, hey, we're all going to make it and it's all going to be good and it's going to be hunky dory. And if you get saved today, if you get born again, if you give your life to Christ, it's going to be rainbows and sunshine for the rest of your life. And that's just not the truth. 
It's not the truth. As a matter of fact, that brings us to the next part. In in verses 15 through 20, he's going to talk about false prophets. And I think it's interesting that he talks about false prophets right after talking about the narrow way and the wide way because he's trying to explain to us that the wide way is going to look good. People will sell it. And they're not going to sell it. We think... We think the wide way is obvious because it's going to be full of sin. The wide way is going to be deceptive because it's going to look like Christ. Because of this. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Let me quickly give you three very common current false gospels. Okay? Three common but current false gospels. The first one is the prosperity gospel. It's all about money. It's all about stuff. It's all about material gain. In other words, if you come to church, you're going to get, right? If you come to Christ, you're going to get. And that's what it's all about. If you give me $1,000, God's going to give you a new BMW, right? You can't pay taxes on it because you already gave me your $1,000. But, but this is very common in the church today. This is very common, uh, even around the world, is this prosperity gospel. Why? Because it's a lottery. It's, a, it's Santa Claus. It's, it's one of those things I just want to get, and it feeds into our selfishness. I'm not saying that God won't bless you. I totally believe God blesses us. I totally believe in tithing. That's why I tithe, my family tithes, my my son who's helping in kids ministry today. The other day he said, Dad, what's the Venmo for the church? I got to send in my tithe. I mean, mean, he's, he's tithing. We teach tithing. We don't teach tithing so you get rich. We teach tithing so you're blessed. Blessed and rich are two different things. I can be dirt poor and be blessed. But I can be a billionaire and be cursed. I would rather be dirt poor and blessed than a billionaire and cursed. Wealth isn't bad. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that that being wealthy is a good thing as long as you teach wealthy people how to deal with their money. You teach wealthy people how to be generous and how to love people and how to to support, and, and then it becomes a good thing. But we have so many preachers today, so many churches today, so many believers today that are caught up in the prosperity gospel. And I'm telling you, the prosperity gospel is a, it's a wide open path. It's a big gate, and a lot of people walk through it. The other one is the progressive gospel. The progressive gospel is the gospel that says it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter uh, what the Bible says. What matters is your truth. You live your truth, and you'll go to heaven. You live your truth, and, and you'll get saved. Every path leads to God. That's what the progressive gospel says. Can I tell you today, as sad as it may sound, and as mean as it may sound, not every path leads to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anybody else, not you. I am the way. But the progressive gospel is going to tell you that it doesn't matter what your life is like as long as you're living your truth and that truth is fluid. But Jesus says, I am the truth and it doesn't change. The Bible says my word does not change. It's not fluid. It's concrete. It's truth. 
But the progressive gospel is going to lead you down this path of everything's okay. doesn't matter what you do. It's all okay because it's your truth. And so we, the progressive gospel, whereas the, the prosperity gospel appeals to your, um, appeals to your greed, the, the progressive gospel appeals to your pride because the progressive gospel puts you in the place of truth, puts you in the place of God, not Jesus. You begin to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, not him. The third one is the passive gospel. The passive gospel appeals to your pleasure. The passive gospel is, is all about, hey, let's just motivate them and send them out. Like, get them into church, tell them how great they are, and send them outside. As long as you feel good when you leave, we've done our job. And, and I want to be honest with you today. The passive gospel, for me, I, I nickname it the morphine gospel, right? The morphine gospel. When I was... When uh, Perry was pregnant with Emma, uh, so I don't know how many years ago that was. She's 14 now, so, so 14 years ago, um, a little bit more, uh, I, they found a mass on my heart, right? And so before they found the mass on my heart, they, they didn't know why I was in the hospital, why I was asking for, uh, for help, and so they, they would not give me any medicine whatsoever. They just stuck me in a room, and they said, we're going to run tests on you, but no medicine whatsoever. So I'm writhing in pain because the mass on my heart was rubbing up against two nerves that run through your body. And, and so I was just, I was in total pain. I was hurting. It, it was, I was also sick at the time, so I was vomiting, and they wouldn't give me any medicine. And so, um, so finally, they did an x-ray. When they did the x-ray, they found the mass on my heart. And, and when they did, they immediately came in and gave me morphine. I'd never had morphine before. I've never done drugs. I've never uh, drank alcohol. So I've never, I mean, I mean, at that point, like NyQuil was the big thing for me. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, it was like, so I hadn't, so when they gave me morphine, I don't know if you've ever had morphine before, but it was amazing, <laughs> right? No pain whatsoever. All the pain just left my body. I think I left my body. Like I was just laying there and I knew stuff was happening around me, but I didn't care any of it. Like, like you could have come in and put a gun to my head. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, like it was so super chill. And, and I had this morphine in my body. Then it's like one o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden I hear a doctor come in and he goes, sir, we found a mass on your heart. We're not sure if it's cancerous. And as he's saying the word cancer, I fell asleep. And then I wake up going, What's happening to me? I was like freaking out. But, but the morphine made me feel so good. Here's the thing about the morphine though. The morphine never took the mass out of my heart. As a matter of fact, when the morphine wore off, the pain came back. The morphine never changed anything about me. It just made me feel good in the moment. And so I would go back into pain. The doctors would come back in and they would give me more morphine and I would go back to sleep. I'd wake up in pain. They'd give me more morphine. Well, guess what happened? After a while, the morphine doesn't affect me anymore. And now I'm searching for anything else. And so they're having to give me more medicine and more medicine to take the pain away because there was nothing that could, that could satisfy unless they did surgery. And finally, the doctor came in and said, Mr. Wright, we're going to have to do surgery. We're going to do it tomorrow. We're going to cut, it, cut you open. We're going to take this mass off your heart. You're going to be in a lot of pain for a long time. So they split my ribs open and, and, and went in through the side. They deflated my lung. They took the mass out of my heart. They patched me all up and then gave me a breathing treatment, said, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to reinflate your lung on your own. I was like, that's not fair. You know, can't you just like, pump some air in there? You had it open. Why didn't you do something? You know? So I'm having to reinflate my lung. They give me this, this pillow, and it was, it was like uh, right before, it was right around Halloween. So, so uh, 
So uh, uh, Thanksgiving is coming up. So I had this huge turkey pillow. It was really ugly, but funny. And so like every time I laughed or coughed or sneezed, I had to hug this pillow real tight because all of this stuff was just kind of loose and, and it hurt. And I was in pain for a long time. Those of you that, that work out with me, you know, um, I love to do pull-ups. It's one of my favorite movements, but I couldn't even do a pull-up. I, I had to get multiple rubber bands to, to even get one pull-up because my lat had been cut in two. And it was just, I was in pain for months and months. But eventually I was healed. Can I just tell you something? The passive gospel, the morphine gospel can make you feel good in the moment, but it won't last The narrow gate may be hard and it may hurt and you may be in pain for a while as God begins to dig out the sin and dig out the abuse and dig out the hurt and the pain that you've suffered through your life. But listen, it's worth it in the end. It's worth it in the end to have all that stuff dug out. On a spiritual note, I remember I remember uh, one of my buddies one time, he said, Gabriel, you need to go to this small group. And he said, I'm, I'm hosting a small group for pastors from around the city. And I was like, yes, I'll do this. And so I went to this small group and it was me and about four or five other pastors. And we were all at different churches. And I remember um, at first the small group was really good. And they're kind of digging into your past a little bit. And then, and then all of a sudden I remember the day when it was like, wow, this is really about me. And I'm going to have to get rid of some stuff that's in my heart. I've been holding on to some pain and some abuse and some hurt from, from church that, that, that's really affected me. It's affected the way I lead. It's affected the way I pray. It's affected the way I preach. And I remember having to, having to get that stuff out and I was embarrassed and it hurt and I didn't want to. But the more I talked about it, the more healing I got in my heart. And that's important. One of the things, if you're ever wondering if your pastor or, or preacher or the people you're listening to or the people around you, if they're a part of a false gospel, some of the things to look for in this part, so... If you're watching, I know I've got a couple of pastor friends that watch our services later on. Guys, this is for us. Like, this is for me, and this hurts my feelings to even say, but these are the things that I'm looking at on myself. Is pay attention to, the, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. Pay attention to their manner of living. What's their lifestyle like? Is their lifestyle reflective of the things they're teaching? Is their lifestyle reflective of the word of God? Pay attention to the content of their preaching. What are the things that I talk about or they talk about? Right? Are they, are they always talking about money? Are they always talking about, um, you know, making you feel good and motivation? Are they, are they always talking and just trying to, trying to be that whole progressive, hey, everything's okay, you're the truth, not God? And then, and then look at, this is the one, I, I feel like for me, I feel like I do a decent job in my manner of living. I feel like I do a decent job in my content of preaching. Maybe my delivery is a little off, but I feel like the content's okay. But the third one is a, is a, is a tough one, and this is, this is one that's really... Um, something really to think about is the effects of their teaching. What effect does the teaching have in the people around them? That's important to notice. Because here's the thing. It's not just poison berries that need to be uprooted. Sometimes it's fruitless trees. If there's no effect to what I'm saying, then I need to go back to the drawing board. I need to go back to my relationship with Christ. And I need to say, God, before I preach again, I need something to be right in me because I want to make sure that everything that I say is from him and it affects you in a way that not that brings you to me, but brings you to him. If the effects of my teaching bring you to me, I'm doing something wrong. If the effects of my teaching bring you to yourself, then I'm doing something wrong. The effects of my teaching should always take you back to Christ. 
It should always take you back to a place of transformation. It should always take you back to a place of relationship with him. And that brings us to the next part. Jesus says this, and then we're almost done, I promise. Jesus says this in, in verses 21 through 23. He says, and this is, this, is a, this is a hard part of the Bible right here, what I'm about to read. It's a very hard part. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So he just said there's going to be a lot of false prophets. There's going to be a lot of false teachings. There's going to be false churches, right? And he says, out of that is going to come a group of people that are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen, saying Lord, Lord is the easy part of being born again. Anybody can do that part. Anybody can believe. The Bible says that demons believe Christ is the Son of God. So that part's easy. As a matter of fact, in, in Acts 2, 36 and 38, Peter is telling us what does it mean to be born again. Peter says, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord and Christ. Lord is someone you follow, but Christ is another word for Messiah. That's a savior. That's somebody that takes away your sins. So listen, Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, you got the Lord, Lord part right. Like you got the, I'm going to go to church part right. You got the, hey, I'm prophesying and, and, and I'm, I'm doing miracles part. You got that part right. That was pretty good. But the problem is I was never your Messiah. I was never there to take away your sins. See, I was there, but you didn't come to me for that. You just wanted the look. You didn't want the relationship. Peter says this in verse 38. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Peter says the easy part is saying, Lord, Lord. The hard part is repenting of your sins. The hard part is being baptized, which was back in today, being baptized is really easy. We get out a little tub and we dunk you under the water. You come back up and everybody claps and everybody cheers. But back in those days, when you got baptized, you might get killed for real. And so, so Peter's saying the, the easy part is the Lord, Lord. The hard part is going through the narrow gate and following the way, right? That's the difficult part. And, and that's the part we got to do. And Jesus says, he says, look, man, it's great. He doesn't falsify their claims of prophecy or miracles. He says, it's great that you can do that stuff, but you never had a relationship with me. And that's what's scary to me. It's scary to me to think that someone can still perform miracles. And we just sang a song, House of Miracles. Sorry, Jonathan. I knew that was in the word and I didn't warn you beforehand. But we just sang a song, House of Miracles, and we still believe in miracles. Yes, I believe in miracles. Yes, I believe in people being healed and, 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 and being raised from the dead. I believe in that. I want to see that. Um, I, I'm encouraged by that. And if you think I'm crazy, just... Just know we've had miracles. Jonathan, um, Jonathan's wife, uh, Anna, she couldn't have babies. The doctor said, you can't have babies. We prayed with her. We believed with her. She had two kids. Wendy sitting right over here. The doctor told her the same thing. You can't have babies. She had a kid. We have another friend of ours, Marcus Medley and his wife, Amy. She was told you'll never have babies again. She had a kid. So far, this church is really good at the miracle of childbirth. Like, that's one thing we've got, right? We, I mean, if you die, you're going to be stuck in the ground. But if you need to get pregnant, right, you show up here, we got you. I believe in miracles. I believe in prophecy. I believe in it because the Bible says it, so i got to believe in it. 
But here's the thing. If you get so hyped up on your prophecy and your miracles, you just got to remember that God talked through a donkey one time. And if God can talk through a donkey, he can talk through me and you without us having a relationship with him. Because that donkey did not have a relationship with God. So just understand that today. That it's about a relationship. It's not about the miracles. It's not about the signs. It's not about those things are good. But without a relationship, they're nothing. They're nothing. And Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, but you didn't know me. You got to know me. So what do we do? If miracles and good works aren't enough, what do we do? How do we pass judgment? Well, he tells us. This is where we're going to end the message. Matthew Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He says this, Then everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What words is he talking about? The whole message. The whole Sermon on the Mount. Everywhere from blessed are the poor in spirit to, uh, to, to the whole thing about Lord, Lord, right? So all of it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and the, and the fall of it was great. Jesus says this, it's not about just hearing, it's about also doing. Earlier in the Bible, he says, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Why? Because if you have a relationship with him, it's not about just listening to him, it's about doing what he says. It's about doing what he says. It's not about just watching online. It's not about just turning on your Bible and clicking the play button. Listen, I'm just as guilty as anybody about that. There have been plenty of days when I've gotten convicted because I just hit the play button and then just just listen to the Bible without really consuming it, without letting the Bible change me. Without listening. Sometimes we just listen to it and we don't go and then live it. But it's about living the Bible, living in the gospel every day. When my parents were moving uh, from Auburn, they had retired from their church and they were moving up here. Uh, I had to help them look for houses. And so um, we, were, we were all over the place, all over the place, looking at houses and going to, going to places. And so um, I remember this one house they looked at and they really liked the house. It was a, it was a nice looking house. And, and in the house they had, uh, you know, brand new paint jobs and um, things I don't care about, like molding. I, I could care less about molding. My wife loves molding. And like when we look at it, I say, oh, look at the molding. I'm like, I, I don't even look up. Like I don't look up at all. Unless there's a TV up there, I can care less, right? Now you put some TVs on the ceiling. I am going to love that house. And as a matter of fact, in this house that we looked at, we went down into the basement. And in the basement, they had a man room down there. And it was like a movie theater set up. And it was so cool. Surround sound, big screen, reclinable chairs, had its own bathroom and refrigerator. I was like, Dad, you got to buy this house. He's like, yeah, but it doesn't even have a bedroom upstairs. I said, it doesn't matter. Just buy this house for this room alone. It's an amazing room. And so what they had done is they had updated this house. They had done all this stuff to the house. The problem with the house was that they did not want to tell us was that it had a foundation problem. There was water that was in the foundation and the foundation had started to crack and started to shift. And guess what? It doesn't matter how much paint you put on the walls. Eventually, that foundation problem begins to show through. And we begin to look around the house. And as we looked around the house, we begin to see cracks In the drywall, cracks in the paint, cracks in the molding, things begin to separate. And we got an inspector to come out and the inspector said, you don't want this one. 
He said, this one's going to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars to fix the foundation. At the very root of the house, it's broken. And Jesus says, if you want to get through the judgment, like if you want to go into judgment and and, and not fear, here's what you got to do. You got to not just listen to my words. You got to live my word. You got to have a relationship with me. And if you have a relationship with me, then no matter what the storm of judgment that comes, your house is going to stand. Your house is going to stand. He says, but if you choose the wide gate, you're like a foolish man building his house on the sand, and when judgment comes, you're going to fall apart. He ends with this last thing. He says, or it's not Jesus preaching. This is just the last little thought that, that Matthew gives us. So all the rest was Jesus. But here's Matthew interjecting something that I just think is interesting. And this is where I want to legitimately end. I said I was ending earlier. It wasn't a lie. I was on my way to the end, right? I had passed through the gate of ending. I just wasn't quite there yet. Verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is where I want to end. This is where I want to bring us to a place of decision today. A place of prayer. Now we're going to have some people come down and they want to pray with you. No matter what you're going through today, we want to pray with you. We're going to end every service like this as much as we can. Because if I feel like if there's anything we can do, we said earlier that the narrow way means that we got to do some work, right? I said earlier that, that, that I, don't want, uh, I don't want a morphine gospel, right? I want somebody that's willing to do the surgery. Well, listen, we may not do the whole surgery here, but we're going to do some prep work. And if you need prayer for anything, whether it has to do with the message or not, we want to pray with you. Maybe you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ for the first time. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. Maybe you've got a sickness. Maybe you've got something coming up at home or, or you've got some stress happening at work. We just want to pray with you and love on you and do the work. Of, of, of lifting you up. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be about it. So we're going to do that in a minute. But here's what, here's what the last thing that I think is interesting. It says, For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And I begin to think, what is the difference? What, what, what did they mean? Here's the thing. The scribes had all of the information. They had all the information about the Bible. But they had none of the authority that Jesus had. They had all the information, all the knowledge without the, without the revelation, without the relationship that Jesus had. Listen, you can build your life on a bunch of information or you can build your life on Christ as your authority. I think what we do sometimes is, is we want to be a Christian until we're confronted with something that we don't like and then we revert back to our culture well, what is, what, is, what is the culture doing about this? We want to be a Christian until we're confronted with something in God's word that we don't like. And then we go to our feelings. Well, I don't feel like doing that. So therefore, I'm not going to do that. We, we want to be a Christian until we're confronted with a false gospel that feels good. And we chase after that. Who is your authority today? See, if we're born again, Christ is our authority. He's our Lord and our Savior. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? I'm going to ask for our prayer team to come down. 
We're going to have a handful of people that are going to come down to the front. If you need prayer for anything, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to slip out of your seat. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be scared. Pastor Jonathan's going to sing a song. As he sings that song, you can come down and get prayer. Will's going to come up in a few minutes. He's going to dismiss us. He's going to close out this time and give us one last announcement. But right now, here's what I want to do for you. I want to pray for you from here first. So why don't you just close your eyes this morning? Lord God, we love you so much, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to to dig into your word. Jesus, I thank you that your word is true and that your word is my authority. I thank you today that I want to build my life not on my feelings, not on what culture says, not on what my friends say, not on what the pastor says. I want to build my life on the authority of Jesus Christ and his word. I want a relationship with you. I don't want you just to be Lord, Lord. I want you to be Lord and Savior. I want to give you my whole life, my whole heart. So God, right now, I just pray for everyone in this room that you would give us boldness and courage today. Boldness and courage today to walk through the narrow gate, to take on the narrow path. God, I pray that you give us that kind of boldness and courage, that faith today to know that we're following you. We're not following a crowd. We're not following a good, a good uh, sounding gospel. We're following Christ. And you chose the hard way. You could have come down as all God and, and killed all the bad people and, and set up the throne and made it really easy. But instead, you understood that a sacrifice had to be made for my sins, for Gabriel's sins. And so you took the hard way, which was the cross, and you died a sinner's death on the cross for me. And so today I want to choose to follow you on the hard path. In Jesus' name, amen.